We're good to be with you here this morning. This is the time, part of our service where we're going to transition to reading God's Word and having it explained. It's a beautiful part of the service where we get to see the foundation for all the prayers we've heard prayed and the songs that we've sung, His mercy, His love, and His greatness. So if you have your Bible with you, especially the Pew Bible, we're going to be turning to two different scriptures this morning, so we can get our finger in Mark chapter 2. In your Pew Bible, that'll be page 837. So the scriptures there will be Mark 2, 13 through 17. And then once you're there, we can turn to 1 Timothy And we're going to be looking especially at verse 15, but I'm going to read from 12 through 15. So we're going to read from 1 Timothy chapter 1, 12 through 15, and then we're going to go back and we're going to read Mark 2, 13 through 18, so you can remain standing. Um, And the sermon will be from Mark 2. So I'm going to ask you to stand now as we read God's word together. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Turn with me to Mark 2, 13 through 17. He went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. You may be seated as we pray. Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to open your word. And it bodes well for us for correction and strength and encouragement and salvation and wisdom. Lord, we need your help now. We need your mercy on our ears and on our hearts that we would receive this word. Lord, many of us come into this building today to gather, congregate and sing and are from busy lives, busyness at work, busyness in the family, maybe some that are troubled, weighed down, lots on their plate. And I just ask that in this service you have mercy and allow us to see Jesus, to Receive your word to be encouraged. I pray that you would help us by your Holy Spirit. We long to see Jesus and to know you further through seeing Jesus. We ask this in his name, in Jesus' name. Amen. 
two beautiful scriptures, scriptures that are just fun to hear simply read. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. That's good news. And we live in a, in a world that needs to hear this news. Our world does a great job, especially in the culture that we live in right now, at minimizing sin, deleting sin, covering up brokenness. We want to forget it. We want nothing to do with it. We want to hide from it. There's a prevailing air of a woke culture that invites us to a new spirit of enlightenment, pointing fingers at the sinners of the past while resting on their own reality, their own righteousness. While others are not fine, many in our culture say, we are, we are fine. And we will see that this is, actually this heart posture mirrors the self-righteous heart of the Pharisees in our passage in Mark 2. So we are living in a time where we would rather celebrate our achievements, human righteousness, then humbly realize our need to run to a Savior. And as we come to this book of uh, Mark and chapter 2 especially, we actually find ourselves amidst this question and answer time with Jesus. So Jesus is being doubted and he's being scorned by the religious elite of the day. They were heaping on him question after question, but they didn't have a heart to hear the answers. They wanted to discredit him. They had a different motive behind the questions. Motives that were rooted in earthly wisdom. Answers that, and they didn't want to hear answers from heaven. Um, so look, look at me and let's see this. Let's look at Mark chapter 2 verse 7. So here again the Pharisees asked, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So there they have a question. They're asking Jesus in light of what Jesus had just did and just pronounced the healing and the ability to forgive sins. And they have this question. But it's not a question that wants to hear the answer. Look again with me at our text in verse 16. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with sinners and tax collectors? Look at verse 18 of chapter 2. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. The people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And there's another question down in 24, and there really is. This is a, they're just asking question after question. But even amidst the questions that were coming from the Pharisees that had a heart that did not want to hear, there were hearts present that did want to hear the answer to these questions. The group represents the target audience for the good news. And we'll discover this morning what qualified them for that. Mark reveals that many men and women were seeking out Jesus. Their step of faith was seen in their coming to Jesus. It is also an admission that there is a brokenness of spirit within them. A lack of true peace and rest. They come to Him with their needs. And we see that Jesus is able and willing to meet the needs. Before in Mark, it was the leper. It was the paralyzed man. Maybe for many of us here today, that's you. Find yourself in the same place. So look with me to the Word and let's discover the great physician of our soul. The main message of our sermon today from Mark 2, 13 and 17 is Jesus has come to save sinners. His arms are open wide to receive them. 
Jesus has come to save sinners. His arms are open wide to receive them. So let's look at the text and, and the text. There's two sections to our text where I get this main aim from. And the first is from verses 13 through 15, which I would call Jesus welcomes the lost. So verse 13 and 15, Jesus welcomes the lost. And the second section, 16 and 17, Jesus, the great physician of the sick. So look with me now to verse 13. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. So again, he comes out to teach. This comes right off the heels of Jesus healing the paralytic man. And that story, Jesus reveals that it's not a disease-riddled body, as bad as that is, that we need deliverance from the most. Rather, Jesus looks at that paralytic and pronounces that his heart is the issue and then pronounces that his sins are forgiven. That's amazing. This drew the ire, though, of the Pharisees, leading them to pronounce it as an act of blasphemy. But Jesus, by doing the hard thing uh, that is confirmable to the eyes by telling the paralytic to get up and walk, reveals that he is able to forgive sins. But whose sins has he come out to forgive? That's the question. And who will be the recipients of that amazing grace? We see this in verse 14 and 15. Look at verse 14 with me. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Most commentators agree that Levi, as we just read, is actually Matthew, who's named in the parallel passage in in chapter 9 of Matthew's gospel. So whether he received a name change or whether um, that was his middle name, it's really not clear. But we're going to refer through the rest of the sermon as Levi, as, as Matthew. So Levi is Matthew. So again, Jesus claimed to be able to forgive sins, and here is a, a mighty test. So he just told the paralytic, rise up and walk. He told him his sins are forgiven, but now we are face to face with a tax collector. So to help us grasp the scandalous outcome of this interaction, let's first recall who Matthew was. As we just said, he's a tax collector. These men were the worst of the worst in that day. They had dark boards back then. Their face would occupy the very center. People would be aiming for them. They were social outcasts due to their affiliation with those oppressing the Jews at the time. Rome was the power of the day, and they ruled over Israel strongly. They taxed heavily and exacted it with similar force. They would set a tax for a certain area and they would um, collect that tax by means of a tax collector. These tax collectors would actually bid to get this position. They would say, hey, I'll collect that tax for you and I'll offer this amount and I will, for that amount, I'll bring that tax to you. So they'd shut up shops in prime locations and they would collect the money from their fellow brothers and sisters. They would compile it, and they would sign it with their own hand, and they'd send it off to Rome. That money hardly ever coming back to grace the economy from which it was taken. And on top of this, if that wasn't bad enough, they were known as liars and cheats. Liars and cheats. Taking time, uh, taking little aspects of their job, little gray areas where they could get a little bit more. Kind of push their thumb a little bit into the wound that is all ready to give to these people that are oppressing you and take a little bit for yourself so that you can live the good life. 
That was common, so common that they were known that way. Liars and cheats. Simply put, these men were the scum of the village. They were the scum of the village in that day. Those that some would say, most would say, we'd be better off without them. Better off without these tax collectors. One author likened them to those who during a wartime would betray their own countrymen for profit. It's exactly what they were doing. Even if someone stepped foot in your house, the whole house was labeled unclean if you're a tax collector. If a tax collector sort of came into that house, into your house, your whole house, unclean. Even more astonishing is the fact that Jesus, the Son of God, knew Matthew in everything that he has done. The town knew farewell the sin, but how much more Jesus knowing the sin of the tax collector. Imagine everything you've ever done, just put up on these screens. Oh, that would make us shiver, make me run out of the building. Yet here is Jesus, who knows everything about Matthew, ready to have an interaction with him. Exactly what he did. He set his gaze on Matthew. Verse 14 makes clear in front of all that he came to save sinners, to call sinners. For here in this verse, we see Matthew sitting at the tax booth on the job. I wonder how the crowd that would have been around Jesus would have reacted to Jesus looking at Matthew and speaking to Matthew. I think they would have rather Jesus had just spit in his general direction than speak to him. And what a scandal that must have been. He did what he, he looked at Matthew and he said, follow me. Yes, Jesus called him to be his disciple, to come and learn from him, to come and receive his message, to leave it all behind and to enjoy fellowship with him. A call into relationship. Come, Matthew, and follow me. Learn from me. You who people would say deserve that the least. What a welcome. Do we hear that? The one who sins is the worst Jesus calls. Do we, do we think of Jesus like that? Do we, is that our picture of Jesus? The one who calls the worst sinners to himself? The king of those who are lowly of heart? Friends, this is always how it's been. It always begins with God reaching out to us, taking that step, calling us, and it must be that way. Jesus came, as recorded in Luke's gospel, to seek and save the lost. We are lost in our sins, and God pursues us with the message of grace and forgiveness of sins and fellowship with Him through His Son, Jesus. And Matthew must have realized that his life was in desperate state. He must have realized that he knew, he must have known that he was not in good relationship with his father, with God. It must have been apparent to him. He didn't live under some false understanding of his own righteousness. He would have heard Jesus' teaching prior to this. He would have heard the amazing proclamations of what Jesus had come out to do and who he was. And he would not dare turn down this call from Jesus. He followed him. It's amazing how it was just instantaneous. You just read it. And Jesus passed by and he saw Levi sitting there, Alphaeus, at his tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Instantaneously. 
He knew enough about the one who called him that he wasn't going to turn this opportunity down. And church, you're not going to go out here after this service and go to the mandarin if you're not hungry. You're just not going to do that. It'd be silly. We're not going to run to Jesus if we don't know our need of him. We're not going to follow him unless we see that we're in sin and need of relinquishing those ways, needing of someone saving us from those ways to follow the king, his life, his message. The love and mercy which we sang about before this service are on full display for us here in this text. It is the foundation for songs that we sing is the word. And here is Jesus displaying that love and mercy here in the Bible. It's interesting and maybe not a coincidence that the name Matthew means gift of God. It means gift of God. And it's no wonder that in Matthew, in his gospel, he writes that Jesus call, says, Come to me, all who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart. Isn't that amazing? That's what Jesus describes his heart, gentle and lowly. And you will find rest for your souls. So here we see men like Matthew say and testify by the response, My heart is sick. I need help. I need this message of Christ about forgiveness. And I need what he offers. What is the most logical response to receiving such mercy? Glorifying Jesus and calling others to meet him. And you're not going to tell others about Jesus unless you know that he offers something that you can't give yourself. So look at verse 15. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Jesus was there reclining with those who needed to hear the message of repentance and forgiveness. They were there literally reclining with him, gathered around him, congregating around him. Here we see Jesus and his disciples around those who need to hear the message of grace. What a picture. Jesus and his followers are on mission to preach the gospel. And that mission, the reason that Jesus came to earth, we read early in the book of Mark, to preach the gospel. He's here doing that. He is on mission to preach the gospel to the lost world. And that mission leads him to spend time with sinners like the tax collectors, like people in that day that were socially unacceptable, socially unclean, Jesus' heart doesn't shrink back. It goes toward them. He is on mission to preach the gospel to them. So we come to the second section of our scripture now, 16 through 17, where we see Jesus, the great physician of the sick. Here Jesus reveals the answer to the big question, why? That the Pharisees asked, why would Jesus be dining with those with no merit, with sinners, lowly and socially outcasts? He wants us all to know his purpose. In these verses, we can get a glimpse of what the tax collectors and the company that had congregated around Jesus would have heard. One that should be a comfort to all those who believe and those who are burdened and under sin's cruel mastery. Read verse 16 with me. And there the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? 
So this verse re- reveals that this association was also quite a scandal. Didn't go well by the Pharisees, those religious leaders of the day, those who kept the law down to the minute detail. Most minute detail. They could not believe that Jesus, proclaiming to be a teacher of the law, a righteous man, would be eating with such people. He was supposed to be someone who upheld the law. Yet here he was, acting out of hand in their assessment. These Pharisees were known by the term separatists. Those who were not committed, uh, those were committed to ceremonial cleanness. They would never think of even coming in contact with someone that was reclining at the table with Jesus in this picture. They wouldn't even think of it. You, can, you could even hear it in the text, the distance. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that Jesus was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said, why? It's like they're up on the 59th floor of righteousness. And at the bottom in the sewer is these people. The distance between them is apparent even in the text. These men wouldn't touch these people with a 10-foot pole. Thought that Jesus should be doing the same. The suffocating traditions of the Pharisees kept them, barred them from going toward these people. And how sad is that, church, when we ponder that the people that knew the Scriptures the best, that devoted their lives to the law, never took the message to them and actually kept them away. How sad is that? These people needed to hear about the message that came through the Scriptures. These men were supposed to know the Bible the best, but is not the message of Scripture that God is going to save sinners? From the beginning, it's been like that. You think of texts like God in Isaiah where he says through his prophet, a bruised reed I will not break and a smoldering wick I will not quench. God's heart has always been for the brokenhearted. To raise them up, to save them, to make them new. That all who fear Him and trust Him in His promises will be accepted into His family. But they, the Pharisees, concluded that Jesus, if He is truly righteous, should be scolding them and conducting Himself more properly. They would say, He's not our Savior. He's got nothing for me. Rather, He's an imposter. Jesus has a lesson for them. He reveals a great truth in verse 17. Look there with me. And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And listen to this, church. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. The answers to the big question that was screaming at us, why, why is Jesus sitting with tax collectors and sinners? is answered in this text because those are whom He came to call. So Jesus hears this little conversation between the Pharisees and His disciples and He responds with a proverbial truth. But a proverbial truth that bodes great spiritual significance for everyone. Those who are well, He says, don't call a doctor. It's pretty standard, pretty simple. You're not going to go to the the doctor's office unless you're feeling ill. Nothing too confusing there. But he followed this up by stating that he came out not to call righteous with sinners. And then he connects those two. The righteous are the people that aren't sick. And the sinners are the people that are sick. 
This is the great scandal, the glorious message of the gospel is not for those who think they're fine, but for those who need help. Here the Pharisees were kind of bolstering themselves up with their fineness. We are fine. We are okay. We don't need anything. And they couldn't believe this message from Jesus. That Jesus came for those to prop up and to, 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 to save, to reach out to those who weren't like them. They couldn't believe it. Jesus makes it clear, if you think you're fine, this could be for us today, if we think we're fine, you're never going to run to Jesus. And how sad is that? For his arms are wide open. He is merciful, kind, lowly of heart, and he is able to save. So that's where we get this great physician of the soul. For our sickness is internal. We have an issue, and it's called sin. We are broken. We are in desperate state. And again, we see the one who's drawing toward them and willing and able to save. Isn't that amazing? Jesus has come out to preach the gospel. Here he is. What a test he was presented with. A tax collector. And yet he reaches out so different than the religious leaders of the day. And he says, Matthew, follow me. And then he says to them, I came not to call those who are self-righteous, but the people that know they need a Savior. He says, those are whom I came to call. He's the one who can deal with the gaping wound of our lives, and that is estrangement from our Heavenly Father. So as the Pharisees saw themselves as people with no need, Jesus is telling them, yes, you actually have a need. You are sinners. You think you're righteous, but you're not. We heard prayed this morning, we don't have enough righteousness. It's impossible. The Bible has never taught us that. We can have enough righteousness to stand before the Heavenly Father on our own merit. So it's good news for us today, for the disciples, for the tax collectors, and for the Pharisees that Jesus has come to save sinners. For that is an invitation to them as well. It's kind of poking a hole in the bubble that is their righteousness and saying, pop, nobody's righteous. No, not one. The author summons us, summons up the beauty of these verses like this. One author, no sin-sick soul is too far gone for him. Isn't that an amazing statement? No sin-sick soul is too far gone for him. And we draw that from these verses. Maybe you're here today and you might say, if he only knew the real me, if he only knew what I've done, if he only knew how I've sinned against God, just yesterday, he wouldn't receive me. You wouldn't know how I've sinned against him, my family, my co-workers. So the message for you today is that there's no sin-sick soul too far gone from Jesus. He came to seek and save the lost. So push out those thoughts that you're too unclean for God and press into Jesus. Think of texts like Ephesians 1.7. In Him, in Jesus, we have redemption. Think of that as being saved or being brought back from captivity by an act of payment. In Him we have redemption. 
through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses. Or again, here in the message of John 1, 12, but all, to all who did receive him, Jesus as Savior, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Those are wonderful verses. So in closing, after we've kind of come through this text, Jesus is the one who came out to, and fellowshiped with sinners. Now, while never being complicit with sin, he spent time with the lowly to teach them. It was part of his mission, and it should be the part of the mission of the church. His disciples were with Jesus. If we are Jesus' disciples, we too will have beyond the mission that we've been invited into, which is the mission of Jesus to reach the lost with the gospel. So let us joyously enter into this mission. For Jesus forgives sins even today. And even more importantly, church, is let's be seated continually in the seat of humility. Does the gospel humble you today? Or has it been kind of a place where you stood and said, yes, I received Jesus, and I love the message, and now I've kind of moved on. I've moved on. I've started to kind of build my own little home, my own little wall of self-righteousness, and Jesus saved me, but I'm, 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 now, I'm okay now. That's a dangerous place. Are we aware that we are so very prone to develop that legalistic heart, taking that step away from the gospel? We can become endless list makers, endless to-do lists of righteousness. We can craft so many standards that are just man-made traditions and man-made standards due to our wisdom, not based in the Bible. We are prone to that. It's funny because we're not even able to keep them ourselves, our own standards, and yet we willingly impose them and are able to oppose them on others. This text reminds us today that it is the humble that know the grace of God, that live in the grace of God. I asked a mentor of mine once, I said, what is the essence of the Christian life? And he kind of pondered for a minute, and he said, there might be a few different answers to that question, but he said this, and he quoted an old hymn, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. That was his answer to what is the essence of the Christian life. Humility. Every day waking up and saying, Jesus, I need you today. I need your grace. I cling to the cross. And to say this, we need to continually see ourselves in this text as the unworthy recipients of God's grace. And to let that permeate all we do in this church and in our lives. We need to see ourselves as the tax collector who was called to follow Jesus. That's the seedbed of humility, knowing our need for him. I was helped a few days ago, I read this prayer written by a Puritan hundreds of years ago. Uh, it's an unknown man who wrote it, or woman, but it says this, and I want you to think about what the humble heart recognizes. He says this, no day of my life has passed that has proved me, that has not proved me guilty in your sight. Prayers have been uttered from a prayerless heart. Praise has often been praiseless sound. My best services are filthy rags. Blessed Jesus, let me find a hiding place in your appeasing wounds. Though my sins rise to heaven, your merits soar far above them. Though unrighteousness weighs me down to hell, your righteousness exalts me to your throne. All that is in me calls out for my rejection 
And hear this, church, all things in you plead my acceptance. We have a great Savior, and He intercedes and stands before the throne of God today on your and my behalf. And He says in texts like Hebrews 4, 14, and 15, I think, that we can come into the very throne room of God and ask for help, and we will receive mercy because Jesus has made it possible for us to go there. So if you see your sin today and this morning, I just encourage you, run to Jesus. You're not going to find Him unwelcoming. He will receive you. We have a great Savior. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your Word which shows us Christ. All of Scripture leads to Him, points to Him, is about Him. And we find Your heartbeat perfectly displayed in Jesus. And I thank You for it. Thank you that we know you to be merciful and kind and loving. For we see Jesus merciful, kind, and loving. And we communally, Lord, just say thank you that Jesus came. And this conversation wasn't just in a vacuum. It was in, a, it was in sequence with his mission to go to the cross. To provide that sacrifice by laying down his own life. So we say thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.